Imagine this. You get home from a long day at work, sit down to watch your favorite show, when all of a sudden, the lights go out. Power isn't off because the glow of the TV is still lighting up part of the room. So you tell your smart device connected to the lamp that turned off to turn it on, and it does. Then you hear the doorbell. You go to answer it, no one's there. As you head back to watch your show, you start to feel hot. You check your smart thermostat and it is slowly climbing to 100 degrees. This is the reality of some domestic violence victims. Their abusers take hold of their smart devices and bit by bit try to break them with every modern convenience they can. Recently, the New York Times talked to victims and advocates about this phenomena and are hearing about more cases of their conveniences becoming their cage. So what should you do if this happens to you? We asked a digital forensic analyst with the Clovis Police Department. I'm Leonard Torres, and this is As You Go. Thank you for joining us today. We're joined by Dustin Watkins, who is a digital forensic analyst with the Clovis Police Department. Now, Dustin, could you tell us a little bit of what a forensic digital analyst is or does? So as a digital forensic analyst, I'm the person who goes through cell phones and laptops that are taken and find all the things that have been deleted that you thought you got rid of. Okay, so you're the one that the kind of the, the sleuth in um, technology that it is. Correct. I, I, I go through all the bits and bytes, all mm-hmm. of the stored information on a device and collect all the evidence from it. Right. I also do online investigations. Okay. So um, now there's one particular thing that um, I know that you do talk about in terms of like cyber stalking, uh, which is another form of uh, kind of domestic violence or, or the abusers um, going after their victims, correct? It's definitely a part of it now. Yeah. So um, in the New York Times recently, now we've talked about it a little bit um, before we started this podcast, but they reported on that um, the internet connected household objects like Nest thermostats or even your ring system, they can be taken over by the uh, abusers uh, and kind of uh, trap their victims or at least play mind games with them. Now, when you see that kind of cyber stalking going on, is that something that they tend to do? They really like to play those mind games. Is that is that what their goal is? For the most part, it's it's just to mess with the person. It's mm-hmm. to show that they have control over that person. So. If they do log into the Nest thermostat and crank it up to 100, you know, that's just one more way to show I have my thumb on you. I can control you. Now, because of that, it makes you wonder. So traditional ways of uh, if you think about physical abuse, um, when it comes to domestic violence, you would get a restraining order, those sorts of things. That does that kind of like makes it a little bit harder, doesn't it? You can't really get a restraining order on an IP. Well, yes and no. It, it makes it more difficult because there is a process in which I can investigate that, uh, but it's a multi-stage process. I'd have to write a search warrant to Nest, mm-hmm. and Nest would have to give me the IP address, and then I'd have to write a search warrant to, you know, let's say Comcast for the, the IP address to find out who it was that logged into the Nest thermostat to do it. Right. So, and, and a lot of that comes down to people need to remember to change their passwords, correct? So, <laughs> Definitely. That's by far the biggest problem that I see in my investigations. Okay, so one particular thing that I wonder about is because in this New York Times article, the um, victims would call the hotlines and tell them, you know, someone's been ringing the doorbell. And I'd go out there and there's nobody there. And it would just be day after day. In fact, there's one particular quote um, that a a victim, uh, Martha, told Good Morning America that she feels her abuser's goal was to tear her mind apart bit by bit. Um, 
And it's, it's just interesting because when they call these helplines, they're, they're trying to find someone to help them. What, it, what is the best help that they can get in this situation? Um, is it to call the helplines or is it to just try and immediately get control of the technology? Really, you have to take matters into your own hands. Um, mm-hmm. By far, the biggest problem that I see is weak passwords and passwords that are known to the abuser. So if you, if you look around your house, especially smart homes today, you've got an Amazon Alexa, you've got an internet-enabled security system, a ring doorbell, a nest. But how, how often do we actually remember what the passwords for those things are? Right. So especially in domestic violence situations, you're already in a stressful situation. So you're not thinking about all of those little things, all those accounts. But if you just take a moment, look around and see what you're actually connected to and start changing the passwords on those. Right. So in, in terms of like, so cyber stalking now, that's something specific that you've you um, give talks about too, that's correct? Correct. Um, so explain that a little bit. So what ends up happening in terms of cyber stalking? Is that just somebody going to a Facebook profile and constantly commenting or switching profiles? What does that entail? It, it's a little bit more than that. Uh, really, digital technology and domestic violence falls into two categories. One is location and the other is communication. Mm-hmm. So by far the best GPS device that's ever been created is currently sitting in your pocket or your purse. If I can locate your cell phone, since we never leave home without them, I can track you anywhere. The other part of the communication side is being able to see someone's text messages to be able to, you know, not only tell who you're talking to, but what you're talking about is a huge power and control thing for a domestic violence abuser. Yeah. And you were talking actually um, prior to us starting where you were saying that uh, people get really hung up on like the Amazon Alexa stuff where they get nervous about being um, watched. I like for some of my um, my friends, they tend to put like uh, pieces of paper over their their webcams on their laptops, or they just refuse to get smart devices. Now, is that just the case? Like, should you just not get a smart device, or is it more you know be smart about what you're doing? It's more be smart about what you're doing. When it comes down to it, if you have a good solid password and you're aware of what these things can control, it. The, the thing that I'm concerned about really is uh, permission settings. If you're not aware of what these devices are collecting on you and how they can be used, then you're giving away information. Like with a Facebook account uh, being tagged in a photo, if, if you're in a domestic violence situation and now you've left and you're trying to conceal where you're, you're staying and you go to a, a family barbecue and great aunt Sally tags you in a photo, now you've just told the internet where you are at that time. And that, you can, you that really can, like restricts a lot of what you can do then, because I mean, the way we connect is either social media or through our smart devices. That that really restricts a victim's ability to like connect with people. I mean, I could understand how that really plays with the psyche of the whole situation more than just physical abuse, but that it's now turning into a situation where even when you're at home and that person is not around, they still have that control. Uh, is there ever a moment where they can just be like, I can use technology again? Or does it do most victims just tend to stay away from it? Well, as much as I'd like to say delete your Facebook account, I understand that, especially in a situation of a domestic violence incident, you're going to need that support system. So being on Facebook to be able to connect to your friends and family is a totally legitimate use. But I would suggest going into your settings and making sure that you have all your permissions the way that you want them, not allowing anyone to tag you in a photo without your permission. 
and not giving away any of your location information. When it comes to cyber stalking or any kind of technology um, that's used in abuse, uh, domestic violence, or anything like that, uh, is it up? Is, is that trend increasing as we get more technology? Or uh, are abusers trying to find you know really interesting ways to use this? Like It seems like something that's used for our convenience um, is now completely turning around. Is, it, is that trend just starting to go up? Well, it's definitely a double-edged sword. As everyone has increased technology, the ability to misuse that technology is definitely there. Um, one of the things that, that I, I talk about a lot is, especially with iCloud devices, if I know your iTunes username and password, I can log into your iCloud account. It's also known as iCloud stalking. Mm -hmm. If I have access to your iCloud account, I can see all of the photos that you take. I can see your location at any point in time. But if I were to go on Craigslist and buy a $50 iPhone, log in with your account credentials, then every iMessage you receive shows up on my phone at the same time that you see it. So, you know, it's definitely a double-edged sword. You've gained a lot of convenience, but you've also lost a lot of privacy. And that's, I mean, that's the one thing we think about. It. It's about the convenience. That's why we have smartphones and smart houses, why most of us uh, just have a Google Home or an Alexa just sitting in our home. But in, honestly, for in those situations, um, they can become kind of the tools of, of your abuser, of the person, kind of your captor at that point uh, is the way I would think about it. But is that about right? Definitely. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're trapped. You really are trapped. That is something. Well, you can always unplug. That's true. <laughs> it's hard for people to do that, though. It really is. Exactly. A lot of times when I, I talk to, to victims and I suggest, you know, why don't you just turn off your phone for a couple of days? You know, that's it's almost it seems impossible to do. Right. So and, and that's another thing. So when you tell victims um, specifically, like the things that they can do to try and like minimize um, the abuser's ability to contact them, is it difficult for them to, to take that into uh, action or do they do they know to, to go ahead and turn off the Alexa, turn off the phone? Well, it's just something that they've never had to think about before. Right. You know, a lot of times people use poor passwords. You know, mm -hmm. they, they don't have a 20 or 30 character long password. Which you suggest people should have a 20 character password. That's what I would suggest. And, and a lot of people balk at that because how on earth are you supposed to remember a 20 character password? But the thing I would suggest is using like a, your favorite song lyric. If, if you think about happy birthday to you, that's... 18 characters right there and if you throw in some capitalization maybe a special character then you've got a nice solid password that's easy to remember yeah and so you know and i keep seeing obviously stories where um a, a guy or a woman after a night of meeting somebody will send them like seven thousand text messages and it just seems like now this is um just way easier to almost annoy a person how how long does it go from at what point does it become an, from just an annoying person doing something annoying to it's becoming an actual problem like what's the sign that step forward that people can watch out for and then immediately take action you know cut off communication it's usually the line in the sand that you draw so if someone's sending you message after message after message once you've told them to stop that's when you've drawn the line in the sand and and that's when it can become a criminal issue is you've, you've taken the steps to tell them, I no longer want to receive contact from you. And if they continue, that's something that we can address. Okay, so 
Um, what would you suggest to somebody to keep this from becoming a problem, uh, whether it's cyber stalking or an abuser using their smart technology against them? What is the, the steps that they need to take to protect themselves? Well, I would suggest taking digital inventory. So if, if you're in a domestic violence situation, the, the same way that you would go around the house and pack up a bag to, let's say, leave, when you grab your clothes and throw it in the backpack, grab your toothbrush, think about grabbing your digital collection as well, changing your passwords, uh, taking account of all of the different devices and accounts that you are logged into, and realizing what all of those are so that when you do get to a safe place, you can start on that, changing everything, changing all of your passwords, making sure that there's no backdoors built into these accounts in the form of recovery emails that you are not in control of. Is there one particular case, um, obviously you can't talk specifics, but that just sticks out to you that something like this has happened and it was just like outrageously crazy um, that maybe an abuser was completely controlling the technology of the, the victim? Fortunately, we haven't had too many extreme cases like that. But one thing that does stand out is uh, I had a victim who was using an Android phone. And if the settings are configured in the right way, you can actually install spyware on the phone via text message. Just by sending this text message with a link, if you accidentally click the link, not paying attention, it installs the spyware on the device. Okay, that, that makes a person paranoid about looking at random text messages. Uh, but, but, th but in that situation, it wasn't random. It was someone they knew, correct? So... It was from a random number. Oh, it was. But it was it was the suspect in that case that, that, that was responsible that. for sending the message. But it did come from an unknown number with an unknown link. And unfortunately, she decided to click on the link and install the spyware. Wow. And in terms of the spyware, so that meant location and text messages and everything, basically everything on the phone. Correct. Now, in the situations like we've had where Google um, had said that it was tracking locations uh, for Google Maps and things like that, can, can abusers access those, that information as well? Or is that a situation where they would have to like, find a backdoor, grab the phone, and, and have like, more of a physical connection to it? Or can they hack in? It's very difficult to hack into a phone remotely. Mm -hmm. But the biggest problem with domestic violence is you typically have a physical relation with the person. So they are probably going to be near you and near your device at one point in time. And if they can take your phone with a few button clicks, they can set up the phone to be able to receive that text message later. Not just with domestic violence, but other crimes as well. I mean, they could technically hijack your technology in, in one way or another, correct? Like in terms of your Nest or your um, Ring camera, if you don't have a strong enough password or at least password protected. Um, That's true, and, and the biggest problem that I see with that is the oversharing of information. So if I can do a couple of Google searches and come across your email address, then chances are you've reused that email address. So let's say I wanted to break into your home, but I knew that you had a ring doorbell that might catch me coming up to the front door. With enough research, determining what your email address is and a, a fair guess on your password, I might be able to get into your Ring account and then, of course, delete all of the video evidence showing me at your door. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and before we wrap up today, we are actually going to uh, take a moment and listen to our story of the week. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. ABC 30 Action News. More reporters keeping you informed on stories that matter to you. The most accurate weather tracking team and live traffic updates. 
ABC 30 Action News, number one in Central California. Hey, I'm Tony Cabrera, and each episode we're going to wrap up our podcast with a story of the week, ending on a lighter note. Looking for an adventure in Fresno County? Like food made from scratch? Like fancy cocktails served in uh, Hidden Speak Easy? Like school? Well, if at least two of these answers are yes, then check our Hidden Adventures series this week. Liz Harrison heads out to Sanger to the schoolhouse restaurant and tavern, which serves from scratch food in an old schoolhouse. Or take it back in time in Fresno's Tower District at the library at Detention Billiards, a speakeasy that is tucked away behind hidden doors. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, and for more stories, head over to abc30.com. Until next time, have a great day.